Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Kevin McDonald, and you're listening to My Independence Report. And today, we have got a wonderful gal on the line with us. Her name is Corby Mitleid, and she is a, well, you know, I'm going to have her describe herself uh, to you. She does all sorts of things. As a matter of fact, if you go back in my archives, there is another book uh, that was written by a gentleman by the name of Schwartz, and it is about your soul's mission and you can go listen to that as well. And she helped write that book. So, um, but we'll get into all that. Uh, but first, I want to introduce you to her. Corby, how are you today? A little freezing here on the East Coast, but other than that, terrific. Is it is it cold over over there? Oh, we've been in single digits for years, my boy. Um, <laughs> not years, but it feels like it. Um, it's been below zero about three nights in a row. So oh, wow. it's. Definitely an upstate New York winter. Wow, wow. So anyway, the the uh, your life story is really fascinating. Um, you've been through a lot in your life, haven't you? I kind of planned double major plus lab when I was laying out my uh, incarnation this time. Yes. You know, it's uh, it's amazing that. Well, first of all, I wanted to ask you about that because. Uh, um, you believe, as I do, that uh, we've lived before, that we, before we got here, decided what we were going to do when we're here and what our mission was and what our soul's purpose was going to be. Isn't that right? Yes. I mean, look, of course we reincarnate. Nobody is smart enough to get it all done in one life. But when we are in our life between life stage, which is what Robert's books were about, your soul's planning, your soul's gift, um, we come up with the major themes we want to look at. We decide who we're going to work with. It's literally a planning session. That's why it's referred to as your pre-birth plan. Um, with me, most of my lives are in a male body. I'm about 80-20 but I wanted to clear a lot of karma this time. So um, I was in a female body, and I have had to deal with divorce, cancer, a very dysfunctional family, abuse. Um, it's been a roller coaster, but at this point, I'm a breath away from 65, happily married, a career I adore, and pretty steady. Let's talk about your career. Now, let's talk about your career. So what, what do you do for When somebody calls you, what do you do for them? Okay. I am a psychic medium and certified professional tower reader. I'm also a past life specialist. So uh, among other intuitive counselors, which is fancy name for psychic, I call myself a general practitioner. And when you come to me, the first thing I'm going to say to you is, what's the most important thing you want to walk out of here knowing? And if you go blank on me, I'll go Brooklyn on you and say, darling, what's biting your butt? Because everybody knows what that is. Because just as a doctor doesn't use every single tool to examine you, I don't use every single talent I've got for what you need. 
if you are looking for some general answers, that's what I call the everyday tour bus. House, car, job, kids, okay, God, you put me here. Now what? I can use numerology, I can use tarot cards, I can use oracle cards, I can use direct channeling, because we're finding you your practical tab A into slot B sorts of answers. If you say things like, why am I fixated on 18th century Belgium, or why am I afraid when there's wet hair in my face, or why do I just see this picture of a rock star, and I'm not a rock person, but I just, I'm drawn to this person. We might go through a past life for you. Now, here's your difference. There are past life regressionists. Those are uh, hypnosis people where they will hypnotize the client. The client will go upstairs to the Akashic Records to find those past lives. With me, it's retrieval, meaning you ask the question, I'm the one who goes into trance, goes upstairs into the Akashic and perhaps brings down something and says here from, you know, read chapter two, this is why the situation is the way it is. Yes, I talk to spirit guides and angels, and yes, I'm a medium, but I'm not dial-a-dead. If Aunt Rose is on a field trip up there, she might not be by the phone. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's that's very good, dial-a-dead. Uh, I, that, can I have your permission have to, to use that? that? To to my teacher, Reverend Jane, who said uh, from the very beginning, you are not dial-a-dead. If you don't get somebody, it doesn't mean that they are wrong or the client is wrong. It just means they are not instantly available. Just like if you want to go visit your third grade teacher, um, you're in a different room right now, and someone who wanted to visit you might not find you at home. Same thing. Yeah. Well, and... also, isn't it the, isn't it very difficult because what they have to do, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you do this more than, than I've been around it, but it, you have to, in order for, to make that connection, they have to lower their, uh, energy vibration and you have to raise yours to kind of meet in the middle somewhere to make that connection. Am I even close to being right? I'm not sure, frankly. Um, it, it depends. That may be one description of the the scientific background behind it. I just know when I do mediumship, I don't like fishing. Fishing is, you know, I see a woman in a flower dress handing me a rose. Oh, it's your grandmother. Oh, please. I work with their dog tags. Okay. You give me their name, who they were to you, when they died and how old they were. Example, my father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. Notice that doesn't give me any information, but it immediately sends out the signal to this person that this is who we want to talk to. Then I will tell you everything that I'm getting in order to identify them. It may be a name. It may be uh, an example of their emotional capability. It may be um, something that has meaning between the two of you. For instance, um, a young man wanted to speak to his father who had uh, died recently, and all of a sudden I feel myself miming uh, putting on a bow tie, and I say, I'm getting this big red velvet tie. And he starts to laugh because that was the tie that his father wore with his tux, and it was just given to that guy, passed on a week before. Um, for one woman, it I found myself miming a pool cue. Her father-in-law had taught her to play pool. Um, another one, a woman had wanted to speak to her husband, who had died six months before. And I feel my arms reaching out very wide, my head tilting, and out of my mouth comes, hey, baby. 
He was from Texas. That's how he walked into the house every night after work. So that way, they're getting absolute identifications. It's not fluffy. It's not, you know, yes, they love you. Of course they love you. Why should that change? And even if you had a tough time in this life, they've dropped their personality and they're in their full soul self now. So they're far more likely to be loving, compassionate, and understanding of where the two of you had been. So that's how mediumship works for me. Does that make it a little easier to understand? Oh, that's awesome. That 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 really makes it easy. Now, um, the people that come to see you, and I'm I want to talk about your your first book now. Uh, the people who come to see you, they're all looking for, well, maybe not all, but most of them are looking for answers. They're looking to you to provide them with the answers to their life questions about what am I supposed to be doing, where am I supposed to be, and all of that. And you address that pretty clearly and clean out your life closet. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Well, when I wanted to write this book, I started asking clients, my social media audience, what are the things that you keep bumping up against most often? And the four things that were repeated over and over again were clarity, how to adapt in the world, how to go with the flow, how to make things simple, and how to deal with stress. And so those were the four things that I wrote about. But if you look on anybody's shelf, there are going to be anywhere between three and a dozen self-help books that people buy because they have these sexy titles and these great covers, and they may flip to a page or two in Barnes & Noble, and wow, it looks good. But when they get it home, they realize that the person who wrote the book hasn't lived a life like theirs. Um, There's one that I won't mention the person, but she insists that the only way that you're going to find uh, clarity in your life is you have to be vegetarian and you can't eat things with leptins in them. And you get please. Someone actually wrote to me um, and asked. I want to be a psychic, but I was told that to raise my vibration, I can't eat any meat. I mustn't drink alcohol. And I said, that's nuts because (laughs) Plains Indian shamans, in the Plains Indian, they eat meat. That's their primary source of food. Are you saying that they're not holy enough to do the work? What about you go to an Episcopal church and you got the Eucharist and what's in that cup? It ain't grape juice. It's wine. So... For some traditions, yes, that's right, but maybe it's not right for you. So when I wrote on these four subjects, I did not do it from the point of view of do what I tell you and it all gets better. This is instead more, here are some stories, maybe some dumb things I did. Here are some things clients ran into. Here are some things you might want to look at. That's a chapter. But at the end of each chapter, you have the adventure pages, which is where I present you with open-ended questions so that you can take what I wrote and make it work for your life. By the end of this book, if you've done all the questions at the end of the chapters, this is now your personal self-help volume. Your friend would probably end up reading the same book but getting a totally different take on it because her life is different. I have never seen any kind of self-help book that trusts the reader, though I mind does. But that's what I set out to do. You've got your own answers. I'm here to help you. 
I'm here to help give you some direction and maybe point out a couple of things you may want to look at. But we all come down here with our own answers inside if we are willing to do the work to find them. How do you know? How do you trust yourself that the answers that you're getting are the right ones? You have to get your ego out of the way, at least if you're an intuitive. When I did work with Rob, there was one chapter we did on miscarriage and abortion. And I have some very definite views on the subject. Yet, when I channeled this person's soul for them, the answers I was getting were absolutely not the answers that I would have come up with. They were absolutely antithetical to Corby's brain. So that's when I knew, yes, I was doing the right stuff. Very often, you run into psychics or intuitives that have egos. They can't bear not to be right. They can't bear not to tell you what you should be doing. And John Holland reminds us, we're the tube, man. It comes through us. It's not us saying the stuff. So you have to keep your ego on the shelf. For instance, let's say a girl comes to me and says, does Bruce love me? Well, I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm going to pull out five cards, a card for her, a card for Bruce, card for the relationship as it stands, what you need to know and best possible outcome. And if she still says, well, I still don't know what to do, then I pull out another nine. The first three are status quo. She does nothing. She just kind of bumbles along in the relationship. The next three are what I call the come-to-Jesus meeting. She does serious counseling. She draws a line in the sand. She makes sure that Bruce knows this relationship must change, but we need to change it together. And the third three, well, that's hostile. Bye-bye. It's been nice. I'll send you a postcard. She leaves. Now, very often, one of those three will be, it's like in Beetlejuice. It'll have the neon sign going off. (laughs) But I shut up. Even if I think that she would be best off leaving if she looks at things and says, well, I guess I can stick around for another couple of years and see how it goes. I shut up. That's her decision to say to her, no, you really have to leave. That means that my opinion trumps her free will, and that is not the purpose of a reader. We are here to present you with your options. But it's your free will, that's what you came down here to exercise, remember, that has to make the choices. That's, that, that is so true, because there are, there, I've been around a lot of psychics that, that believe that they can tell the future. And the future's not written yet. How do you, you can't tell the future, right? No, we can see possibilities. Um, for instance, let's go to the idea of, let's say that you want to open up a bookstore. I would not flip a few cards and say, wait until January and fire the redhead. What? It's a card for you, a card for the energy around the business, a card for the brick-and-mortar location to look for, how to market it, clients, competition, staff, finances, what you need to know, and best possible outcome. Now, why do I know to do that? One of my former careers was executive recruiter, and I counseled people in careers for years. So in that sense, yes, you're using a little bit of my left brain knowledge to get your answers. 
but I will tell you what I see. You must take that information and run with it, which is why if someone says to me, is my new bookstore going to be a success? I will look at them and say, and what if I said, no, you're going to lose everything and live in a box under a bridge? It's the wrong question. You ask what empowers you. Now, she can take that information that I just gave her, that uh, entrepreneur's read, and make her bookstore successful or ignore it and maybe it goes in the tube. But it's her choice. It's not that I said you won't be successful unless you do these things. It's It gives her all of the ingredients for the recipe and she can either make a good cake or a bad cake or ignore it completely. Totally that. A lot of times we make a bad cake because we're not paying attention. That's right. Um, but that's part of what learning is about. That's what, um, um, who was it, Edison? He, he tried to 2,000 times to, uh, he failed 2,000 times to, to make a light bulb? And he said, no, what I found was 10,000 ways that a light bulb will not work. It wasn't failure. <laughs> and But he kept, he kept at it. He kept working at it yes. because that was his passion. Yes, he did. And uh, by the way, we're talking with Corby Mitleid, and we're talking about the book Clean Out Your Life Closet. And uh, I think this is a good year. We're getting ready for 2020. This would be a great time for you to clean out your life's closet and get a fresh start. And how would you recommend that somebody, what steps, other than, of course, obviously, to buy the book, and then what steps would you recommend that somebody take to clean out their life closet Starting with the well, new year. First thing you need to do is decide what it is you really want the year to accomplish. And there are several ways you can do that. Um, one of the things that I always do is New Year's Eve. That day, I sit down and I write myself a review. Just stream of consciousness. What happened this year? What are things trying to teach me? The other thing that I do, and y'all can do this. Remember, you can do what I do. I'm not special is I have about a half a dozen uh, book uh, books, cards, uh, methodologies, where I will pull a card or whatever for the year. For instance, what I did for 2020, um, it's six, a six-year in my numerology, which talks about progress, financial advancement, but a lot of work around family. I then pulled uh, a rune, which is um, a, a way of getting a feel for the energy. I then pulled a couple of cards from my oracle decks, and I pulled one of my uh, tarot cards. So the, one of the things that I teach outside of the book is something called Decadence, which is where you can pick up a non-tarot-based deck, an oracle deck, and read it instantly because you already have that inner knowledge. So if somebody wants to start that, go find yourself an oracle deck and start trusting yourself that you and your soul, your higher self, can be in communication and give you some leads on what you need to do and where you need to go. Uh, if you want to talk to me, of course you can talk to me. Uh, we run a numerology report for you. Uh, we take a look at what your year is in a general reading. It's things like that. But I always say, Please learn to trust yourself first. Don't immediately go to a psychic because while a lot of us are really good, there are what I call the Madam Hoo-Hahs and the Swami Swellandas out there and the fake gypsies. 
they're the ones that go, oh, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four. You have dog? $50 every family member. 25 per dog. He's small. We fix. And you walk out of there thousands of dollars lighter because they said if you didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church, your entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks. That is a literal story um, <laughs> that I saw in Canada about 15 years ago and why I wrote my second book, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, which, you know, we can go into it another time. But that's the thing. The more you take control of your life, you realize we're here as an adjunct we are here as an assistant. We are here as perhaps another point of view. We ain't the magic keys that make everything better. I'm working on my own life, kids. I don't. I don't need to take responsibility for yours too. <laughs> ain't that the, ain't, ain't that the truth? By the way, in your book, uh, "Clear Out Your Life Closet," you talk a lot about stress. And is there good stress, or is stress always you know difficult and bad? No. No, there is actually um, a psychological term called eustress, E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, and that's good stress. What's good stress? Good stress is that deep breath you take just before you go on stage. It is when you are in the starting block at a race and you look around and you say, all right, I'm going to beat all you SOBs to the finish line. The good stress is where it is exciting, where it's happy, where you know you're at the top of your game. That's a very, very different thing from bad stress. And even with stress, you have acute stress. Uh, oh, my God, my house is on fire. And then you have um, chronic stress. Now, what are some examples? When you second-guess yourself and other people all the time, trying to figure out every angle of a situation, that's stress. When you obsess over situations that aren't even here yet, that's chronic stress. When you never feel like you're good enough and you're always yelling at yourself in your head, that's chronic stress. And that's what you need to let go of. How? Well, you have to recognize it, first of all. All right? The difference between good stress and bad stress. And some instant stress busters that I recommend, get up and move. How many times are we just circling the drain in our brain because we're sitting at the desk and we're staring at this piece of paper? Get up and move. Go play with a cat. Um, there are breathing exercises that help you reoxygenate. And when you do deep breathing exercises, it does slow your heart rate down and relax you. Um, Go get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Find music that works. And the other thing is really important. Set your boundaries, guys. Um, you know, no is a fabulous idea. You cannot work 24-7. You cannot be there for everybody all the time. You're not built that way. And the more you grind your wheels, the more likely the wheels are going to come off at the least opportune time. So you really do have to learn how to set your boundaries. That's one of the biggest ways to ratchet down your bad stress level. Yeah, because um, your boundaries are, and, and I know a lot of a lot of my female friends have got real trouble with boundaries because they take care of everybody first, and oftentimes there's not enough energy or time or whatever it takes to take care of themselves. That's the whole 
point, women believe, for some reason, that they should never say no. And people guilt them into it. Um, for instance, let's say that uh, you're a knitter and you love knitting. And it, it relaxes you. And then someone says, wow, you knit so well. Would you knit me a couple of baby blankets? And you say, fine. And then this person shows one of the blankets to someone who works at your local public radio station who says, wow, we could really use something like that as a giveaway during pledge drive. And think, you think, well, I need to support them. So now you have 20 baby blankets to do. And then they come back and say, and by the way, one of our underwriters um, is a farm that does their own wool, and they would like you to use their wool. And, and to the point where what started out, as a nice, relaxing exercise, is now one more damn deadline, one more thing where everybody else <laughs> is pushing you, and you didn't say no. And it's and, no longer and, fun. That's right. At, at the end of that situation, you probably don't want to see a pair of knitting needles for at least five years. <laughs> so, no is good. And yeah, there's, there's, you know, one, one of the ridiculous Hallmark memes. When you say no to others, you're saying yes to yourself. You are saying, I am more important than being guilted. I mean, when you come into uh, a psychic fair, and I just had to address this with someone who wrote to me and said, your gifts are God-given. You have no right to charge. And I just said, what? I said, let's make it a little different, darling. Let's take a look at the kinds of things that you tell me to do. You say that I should read for free. You say that if someone says, well, you know, you're just standing around. Uh, why don't you do a reading for me for cheap? At least you're good making something. Or, you know, uh, two girlfriends come and say, well, could you, like, just read both of us for one price? Or someone who says, well, yeah, do a free reading for me, and if you're really good, I'll tell everybody else. Or they stand in front of my booth and say, I'd really like a reading, but I don't have the money. And they stare at you, waiting for you to knuckle under. <laughs> and the one that this guy said, oh, well, if you won't read me for free, you're not really very spiritual, are you? And I said, you flip that around with any other profession. Saying to a hairdresser, well, why don't you cut my hair for cheap? You know, you're not doing anything right now. Or you say to the plumber, well, I know you came to fix my shower, but why don't you put it in my dishwasher too? And, you know, I'll just pay you for the one call. Or, you know, I'd really like that party dress to the store owner and you sit there and you wait or you say to the cleaning lady, well, why don't you clean my house for a couple of times for free? And if you're good, I'll tell everybody else. Or you say to your doctor, what do you mean I have to pay you for uh, an office visit? You're not very compassionate. You'd rather I just died, didn't you? When you put it with all those different normal professions, people realize how stupid that sounds. Mm -hmm. So, my boundary is there will be some occasions when I will read pro bono because spirit nudges me and says, this one needs a reading. Do it anyway. But for everybody else, I have a very fair price range. And if you don't want to pay for that, maybe you don't, just don't need a reading. We're luxuries. We are not necessities. We're not food, water, or shelter. We're information. And that's a luxury if you don't want to go find it yourself. It's not exactly. How a lot of people view psychics, but it's how I've always worked. Well, you know, and um, honestly, um, 
I believe that there's an energy exchange, and money yeah. is energy. And uh, that needs to be, to honor you and the work that you do, you need to be honored through the energy. And if somebody is taking advantage of you and stealing your energy, that's not appropriate. And that's when no comes in. That's when no is important. Exactly. Um, by the way, in your book, we talk, you talk a lot about uh, perfection in your adaptability, adaptability section. Why is that such a problem? When you keep pushing for things to be perfect, you lose so much. Um, you know, there is a chapter in here, Why Perfect Isn't What You Think It Is. And one of the things that I use as an example is when I make a recipe. I love to cook. Cooking for me is therapy. And sometimes I'll really want to do, you know, chicken thighs with a certain kind of a sauce. But I don't have a couple of the ingredients. So I look, and, and I've cooked long enough that I know, well, that'll probably work, and what about this? And I come up with a terrific recipe because I wasn't, well, I don't have the mushrooms and the garlic, so I can't make the recipe. Life is the same way. Um, a couple of birthdays ago, I was sick. I mean, really, really sick. And normally, my birthday is a big occasion for for me and my husband. We go out, we um, go to a fancy place for dinner, and I just didn't feel up to it. On the other hand, I had a deadline for a writing assignment. So for me, I decided I was going to find six ways that the day was perfect because it was not being celebrated like my birthday. Well, perfection, if it's flexible, it means I can decide the day was perfect because it fit what I needed more. Perfection can mean considering other ideas and changing course. In that case, what I was trying to write simply was not coming out, so I flipped the subject a little bit and then the writing flowed. Perfection can give attention to what really matters. I was doing something that I loved. I wasn't forcing myself to go out when I couldn't taste the food and I was miserable. I was at home, cat on my lap, wood stove cranking, and writing. And for me, words are my drug of choice. So that helped make it perfect. Perfection can be found in the tiniest moments and the most ordinary occurrences. We don't do a whole bunch for Christmas here. We don't. We haven't had a tree in years because we have three Maine Coons and they levitate wherever they want. So a <laughs> tree just doesn't work. Um, but I came out from my office and found that my husband had bought a small wreath and had run a couple of strings of Christmas lights right along the mantel above the wood stove. So no, it's not the the gorgeous tree that everybody says is the holidays, but it's got greenery, it's got lights, and it was a gift of kindness from my husband, which made it even more important. So again, is it the perfect tree? No. Is it perfect for what I wanted right then? Yes. That was that was a moment of perfection. It was. Because that it, it it it's in it's in our own most of the time, isn't it true that when we're not feeling that we're not good enough and we're not perfect and it's, this isn't right and it's not good enough, 
Isn't that coming from our past, from somebody else? And can you help somebody with that? I can help them, but they need to make the decision. Um, it's part of jettisoning the shoulds in our life. For instance, um, I'm the only person in Robert Schwartz's book series who was ever one of his major channels and a subject in the book. In his first book, Your Soul's Plan, I'm the character Doris. They changed my name so you wouldn't get Corby the medium mixed up with Corby the subject. And you see what a very dysfunctional childhood I had and um, all the cancer and the divorce and everything that I had to go through. Now, when that happens, what's the best thing to do is you look at it. You say, what's the lesson? For me, the secondary question is, how can I teach with it? And then you dump it. Um, I know that a lot of people hear, well, you know, you can fight cancer. Um, and you can, if you do the work, you can make sure the cancer goes away. Well, what does that say to people who die of cancer? What, they didn't fight hard enough? Mm-hmm. Please. All of us have an expiry date on our warranty. Nobody has an extended. And you're going to get out of here one way or another. Now, as I'm someone who's done the cancer dance three times, I didn't die of cancer. I'm 65. Who knows what's going to take me out? I'm not looking. Don't need to know. Thank you very much. <laughs> but the cancer was there because I was able to learn from it. Notice, I don't say I fought cancer because what you fight fights back. And I am not a survivor because you hear that word and you think about somebody hanging on by teeth and toenails. I say that for three times I did the cancer dance. I found out how graceful I could be under pressure. I avoided getting my toes stepped on, and I got off the dance floor in one piece. Now, when they told me the third time that I had cancer, the other two had been, you know, I'd gone through some surgeries, I'd gone through radiation, um, but I was still there. This was breast cancer. So a year and a half after I finally married the right guy, and it's 20 years later, and we are still happily married, they said, okay, it's a second primary which is very rare. But it's three strikes, you're out. We're taking the rack, we're taking the ovaries, and you're going to go from a Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects in three weeks. And there's nothing you can do, suck it up, where, you know, you'll beat the cancer. That's all we can tell you. Now, I went home for 24 hours and I cried, of course. But then using what I have learned through life and especially at a place called the Option Institute in Massachusetts, I said, I have to find three reasons to be happy about this. And it's not as stupid as it sounds. I didn't care how idiotic the reason sounded. The important thing was to see the positive on it. So I said, okay, number one, you don't have cancer. You you don't have them. You can't get cancer there. That's good. Number two, They're not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year, and every single woman listening knows what I'm talking about. Third, implants? That's cool. I'll be perky till I'm 93. (laughs) Now, you see, you laughed. I wasn't the pity party, and I don't identify myself um, as a cancer survivor. A lot of people see their disease, and they never let go of the disease. They let it define them. With me, it's something that happened. It's something I can teach with, but it's not me. That was in 2004. I have moved so far ahead in 16 years since 2004. That's way back on the road. 
I have much more interesting things that I'm working on now. So this is how you – this goes right back to a lot of things we've been talking about. You go back, what do you want to get rid of this year? What do you want to leave in your rearview mirror? Where do you want your boundaries to be? Where do you want to ratchet down your stress level? It all is in how you look at things and how you want to work with them. Is this making sense? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, and I was just sitting here thinking to myself um, about, you know, your about the life path. Uh, I'll give you an example. My my uh, father-in-law was a teetotaler. Um, the hardest thing that he ever ate was rock candy, and uh, and he died at 79. My dad was a six-pack of beer man every day and smoked cigarettes for 60 years. He lived to be 77. So when he, when my father-in-law's contract was up, he, it was time for him to go. And same with yes. my dad. And I was just thinking, based on your story that uh, of the cancer, it's like our lives continue. Even if we're not here anymore, we are still continuing and we are still gathering experiences. I hope I'm right in that. Am I right in that? Yeah, look, the thing is, we don't have just one place we leave. We have four or five possibilities. We could die of a fever at four. We could die in a car crash at 18. We could die uh, in a failed mugging attempt at 42. We could die of colon cancer at 65. We could die of a stroke at 90. It, you know, in your life path, you have all of these places. And as you get toward them, the soul kind of looks and says, well, am I done yet or not? And if you're done, you're done. Uh, the example I can give with me is uh, 2002. Remember, I live in icy cold winter upstate New York. I was driving down uh, a country road, and there was black ice under snow. Started to fishtail. I overcorrected. I took down a tree, a telephone pole. My car flipped with electrical wires on it, and I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Oh, my God. I walked out with a couple of bruises. I felt like I was on an e-ticket at Disney. At no time <laughs> was I afraid that I was going to die. So obviously, you know, the angels had hold of it, and it was an example to me of you have more work to do. Now, this is one of the other reasons don't ever let anybody predict your death. Because if someone had said to me, I see you die in a car accident, I might have died of fright. <laughs> you don't need to know how you're leaving. What matters is every single day you wake up, what am I going to do with today? That's what matters. When you wake up in the morning, what are you going to do with today? Because today is all you got. That's right. Uh, the way I put it is, remember, you get to get up in the morning. You don't have to get up in the morning. And that's how you want to structure your life. If you are in a dead-end job and you know you could do something else, but you're afraid, you have to get up every morning. I quit a $70,000 a year job as an executive recruiter to do this full-time, but now I get to get up in the morning. Because I'm doing what I love. I'm making a difference for thousands of lives. My words are going all around the world. I'm living what I wanted. Am I fabulously wealthy? No. I'm a nice Jewish American princess. I should have married a doctor, but I didn't. <laughs> um, but I have the life that I feel is worth living. Yes, my father wanted me to be a lawyer. I love him to bits. You know, he's been gone since 2001. Love him to bits, but no, Dad, I would not have been a good lawyer. This 
is what I'm meant to do. My brother is a world-famous physician. I heal in a different way. That's, that's how you look at these things. Your job is to live the best life for you. And remember, we have to leave this place better than we found it. So make sure that you teach. Make sure you inspire. And it doesn't have to be worldwide. Maybe it's just your neighbor. Maybe it's one homeless person that you helped get on their feet and into an apartment. Maybe it's an animal you saved. That is as worthy as all the damn lawyers and all the damn doctors and all the damn politicians in the world. It is. I like to use the example of when you go to the grocery store and you're you're buying groceries and you've got your cart there and you <coughs> excuse me, you go to the checkout stand and the girl's standing there and she's been there for like hours and hours and she doesn't get paid much and yada yada yada. It, it doesn't hurt you just to smile and say hi, how you doing today? It might be the only person that's nice to her all day long. Mm-hmm. I make it's a point of when when you are serving me at a restaurant, I will look at your name tag, and the minute I see it, I will use your name. Mm-hmm. It means I'm acknowledging you as a human being worthy of compassion and respect. And you would be amazed. You are absolutely right. That can totally change somebody's day. And that's at the end of the day, that's all there is. Mm-hmm. Truly, that's all there is. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking with Corby Mitleid, and she's written the book. There's actually two books. We're going to have her back on, and we're going to talk about the second book. This book is uh, Clean Out Your Life Closet. It is a self-help book in the truest sense in that in the book, you are actually helping yourself because there's at the end of each chapter, there's something for you to do and questions to answer based upon your own life experience. Do I have that right, ma'am? Yes, you do. I can tell you what my stuff has been like, and if it sparks you to ask yourself some questions, that's perfect. That's great. Great. And before we go, because we're running out of time, but is there anything else that you'd like to our, our listeners to know? Um, only how to get the book. Um, oh, good it, point. There are three three ways to do it. You can, you know, all of it's on Amazon. Um, it's a paperback, it's a Kindle, and I actually did the audio book for this as well. Um, theater major at Brown, voiceover is in New York, so that was easy. To me, if it's a nonfiction book, nobody but the author should read it so that they can give you the passion that they had writing it, because it's not fiction, it's their words to you. Uh, if you want to find me, you go to CorbyMidlide.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram. I'm all over the place, as we all are. And the most important thing is remember, I'm here as a help, I'm here as an assistant, I'm here as a clear mirror to show you what you want to look at. But you are the one who's going to come up with the ways to live your life, make your mark, so that when you go skidding into heaven on bald tires and fumes in the tank and God hands you a beer and says, so... You can say, let me tell you what I got to do. It was so cool. I appreciate you greatly. You, 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 you've been a lot of fun to interview, and I really have enjoyed it. And uh, I'm going to go get that book because I think it would be uh, very helpful for me as well. So, again, we've been talking with Corby Mitleid. You can pick up the book at Amazon, the Clean Out Your Life Closet. 
is the name of the book. Pick it up at Amazon. Give her a call if you want to work with her. I get the impression that you're a no-nonsense gal, and we're not going to be able to have a lot of excuses when we go talk to you. Um, I'm not fluffy bunny. I'm not glurpy purple with angels. No, I am an absolute straight-no-chaser reader. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, by the way, you're listening to the uh, My Independence Report. We've been talking again with Corby Mitleid. Uh, get the book, clean out your life closet, pick it up at Amazon, and give her a call. If you need to, you don't need to do anything, but if you'd like to work with somebody who isn't going to give you fluff and, and, and cherries, that's, this is your gal. So with that, uh, um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, by the way, do something nice for yourself. Do something nice for somebody else. Be kind. We'll see you next time on My Independence Report. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.